we're going to start something new this week since we finished up Deuteronomy last week. And uh, we were on Deuteronomy for a very long time. So uh, we were, I was kind of, had a couple different places that I was thinking about and made mention of it last week. And I've decided since the children of Israel are now ready to go into the promised land, I would like to go ahead and get into the book of Joshua to kind of follow through with the story that Deuteronomy has been bringing us to. And the, the beginning of Joshua is a very significant uh, part of Scripture. Is this too loud? We good? <clears throat> All right. Uh, and it's got a lot of meaning in it that we can use for today. Joshua is a, a very important book to understand. And it's a, it's a picture of when you see the nation of Israel going into the promised land, you need to look at that as a, a person today wanting to go into the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God is not something that you can show somebody. It's, it's not something that you can bring them into physically on this earth. It's a spiritual kingdom, the, the kingdom of God. And you can have two people sitting beside each other. They're both in the same room, but one could be in the kingdom of God and the other one not. Does that make sense? Because the kingdom of God is not seen with your physical eyes. You must see it with your spiritual eyes. So we, as people, human beings on this earth, we want to go into the kingdom of God. Jesus made a way for us to go in. Just like Joshua made a way for the nation of Israel to go into the promised land, Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Just, and that's what Jesus means. That's the name Jesus. Joshua and Jesus are, are pretty much the same as far as what the name means. Alright, so... Uh, I mean, I could just go on and on and on about Joshua and the book, but I'm going to read a few things. Uh, I've got this uh, fairly new Spurgeon Study Bible. Um, I've got my, my regular Bible up here. I'm going to read the introduction out of, out of the, uh, the Schofield Bible here. And uh, just to kind of get us going, at, you know, with a good introduction to Joshua just in case there are people who, who don't know. And uh, so I'm going to read a little bit out of this Bible here on the introduction. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start reading some of this stuff here and then get into some of the text of the book of Joshua. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the people who... Um, have come out tonight to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one of them. 
and uh, help us to, to see the deep meaning of your word. Show us how we can apply it to our lives today and how we can share it with others to help them as well. And Father, those who are um, you know, not feeling well, you know, the sick people that uh, just need to be lifted up by you, Father, I just ask that you would be with them and help them. And Father, um, just help us as a church that we would be a place that would draw people. And Father, just help us with the ideas that we need to have and just uh, things that we need to do to be a good church in this community. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, this little introduction in my Bible says, Joshua records the consummation of the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. For redemption has two parts. Out and into. You know, when you see the, the word Exodus in your Bible, and the, the book of Exodus is Moses leading the people out of Egypt, but he's leading them out of something and leading them toward what they're supposed to go into. We need to think like that. There's a destination. It's not just a leaving, but if you leave something, you should have first thought of where you want to go, right? You need to know where you're going. There, there needs to be a destination, not just leaving those things that are bad. You know, if, if, there might be times where you just have to get out of where you are and then figure out, but it's better to know where you're going and then leave. And the nation of Israel, they knew that they were supposed to go to the promised land. They knew they were supposed to go there. So it's an out of and then an into. So the key phrase, which opens up Joshua, is, Moses, my servant, is dead. Law, of which Moses is the representative, could never give a sinful people victory. Understand that? Law, and Mo, we, I've talked, yeah, all through Deuteronomy, talked about how Moses represented the law. There's a reason why he's not taking them over to the promised land. It's, it's more than just him not obeying God and striking the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. It is part of him being a representative of the law. Those things had to happen so he couldn't take them into the promised land as great as he was. Moses was one of the greatest people in the Bible. Just think about how great he was. But then think about all the mistakes he made. He did, he did a lot of bad things. He even killed a guy. You, know, there's just a lot, you, can, you can think of different things that he did that shows that he was not anywhere close to being a perfect person, but he was an amazing person. But he couldn't take him over because the law which Moses represents, could never give a sinful people victory. Now you can get that out of Hebrews 7.19, Romans 6.14, and Romans 8.2 and 4. 
And then, of course, Joseph would tell you Romans 7, talking about being dead to the law so you can marry another. That's the very beginning of uh, Romans 7. In a spiritual sense, the book of Joshua is the Ephesians of the Old Testament. The heavenly of Ephesians is to the Christian what Canaan was to the Israelite, a place of conflict. So now, when you go into the kingdom of God, which basically what that means is, is you've had a born-again experience. You've believed on Jesus, and now you go into the kingdom of God, just like that. You're translated into the kingdom of His, God's, dear Son. That's what happens when you're born again. So is everything wonderful after you go into that kingdom? Everything just perfect, no problems, you're happy every day, and you just don't run into any issues? No. It's a place of conflict. The, the, the promised land right away was a place of conflict. When you go into the kingdom of God, it's like you going into your promised land. You're going to make it, but it might not be a fun ride getting there. You know, you look at all of the Lord's disciples. They all died martyrs' deaths. They, they, were, they were killed, tortured and killed. John was the only one, and he was put in solitary confinement for many, many years on an island, which people say that's really, really bad on a person to be totally by themselves for any length of time. Some people will say it's cruel and unusual punishment. But anyway, going into the kingdom of, of God is a place of conflict, and therefore... All right, he says, therefore, not a type of heaven. So what I just said was, getting into the kingdom of God, you're going to go to heaven if you really do get into the kingdom of God. But it's not heaven yet. Okay? That makes sense? And a lot of people, when they talk about the promised land, they say, that's our heaven. When one day we get to the promised land, that's when we get to heaven. No. That's not what it's talking about. Because there are battles that have to be faced and won. And you might have some defeats along the way if you don't follow God's ways. But also a place of victory and blessing through divine power. Yeah, who, who are you putting your trust in? The government, as before, was theocratic. Joshua succeeding Moses as the ruler under God. And then it talks about how Joshua falls into four parts. Part number one is the conquest. And then number two, the partition of the inheritance. And then third, discord. And then the last part uh, is just talking about the last councils and the death of Joshua. So who wrote it? Who wrote the book of Joshua? Anybody know? Well, according to a lot of the scholars, they don't know either. But it's got Joshua's name on it. So did Joshua contribute a lot of this? You know, 
just like people say, well, Moses couldn't have written all of Deuteronomy because it talks about his death. Well, he could have wrote about his death. He knew he was going to die. He had already been told he was going to die. He could have easily wrote all of it, and then it's good to go. You know, then he dies, he's already written about it, because he already knew. Joshua, uh, same thing with Joshua. At the end of it, it talks about his death. So people say, well, he couldn't have wrote it because he died. He couldn't have finished it out. I don't know. All right, so in my uh, Spurgeon, my newest addition to my Bible, all of my Bible collections, um, I'm going to read some of the introduction out of it as well. He says, or whoever put this study Bible together, says the author of the book of Joshua is not identified in the Bible and otherwise remains anonymous. If Joshua himself did not originally compose the book that bears his name, then it may be presumed that someone who knew him and his exploits recorded the work. There are numerous references throughout Joshua that suggest a final formation of the book after his lifetime. These include the death of Joshua and descriptions of memorials or names that are said to remain unto this day. And there's a whole list of uh, chapters and verses here. Way too many for me to say. Uh, the accounts in the book of Joshua occur in the period immediately after Moses' death. This was a new generation, not the one that had left Egypt. The story of Joshua is thus set when the nation of Israel first appeared in the land west of the Jordan River, the land that would bear their name. 1 Kings 6.1 states that the exodus occurred 480 years before Solomon's fourth year as king, which was in 966 B.C. In Judges... 1126, Jephthah said that Israel had been living in regions of Palestine for 300 years. Jephthah lived around 1100 B.C., thus dating the end of the wilderness journey and the beginning of the conquest around 1400 B.C. That's what they're uh, you know, kind of guesstimating on when it, all this is happening. And then under the heading, Contribution to the Bible, it says, Just as Joshua's leadership begins with the death of Moses, so the book of Joshua follows and completes the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy serves as a means by which the new generation of Israelites renewed their covenant with God. The book of Joshua provides the means by which God fulfilled his part of the covenant. God gave them victories, but each victory re required a step of faith. God's provision for the people as their leader and guide bore witness to later generations of the divinely willed leadership for Israel. And his gracious gift of the land showed how the people's faithful, faithful fulfillment of the covenant could result in abundant blessing. Now the structure of the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua should be seen as a land grant, similar to the land grants and uh, treaties of the ancient Near East. There are three major parts to the structure of the land grant. First is a review of the history and events leading up to the gift of the land. 
This occurs in chapter 1 and its discussion of what has brought Joshua to this point, the death of Moses. Chapters 2 through 5 detail the preparation for the acquisition of the gift of the land. Chapters 6 through 12 describe the battles that were fought as background to the receipt of the land. The second section considers the allotment of the territories to the tribes and families of Israel. The many Pacific names and towns of this part of the text provide a particular particularity to the gift that affirms it was an authentic fulfillment of God's promise to his people. The third section is a renewal of the covenant. Here the key part are the stipulations of the covenant that require loyalty to God alone and the response of the people that they agree to these demands. Now here's what Spurgeon said about Joshua. He said, the promises of God gave Joshua, or the promises God gave Joshua were broadly comprehensive and exceedingly encouraging. But Joshua was not to say to himself, these covenant engagements will surely be fulfilled and I may therefore sit still and do nothing. Because God had decreed that the land should be conquered, Joshua was to be diligent to lead the people onward to battle. He was to use the promise as a belt with which to prepare himself for future activity. Let us always so regard the gracious promises of our God. We are exhorted continually to be at work for Christ since we are saved in order that we may serve him in the power of the Holy Spirit with heart and soul and strength. That's some pretty good words by Charles Spurgeon. So you've got people who are so extreme in one direction that they could get a promise from God and then say, well, it's going to happen I really don't need to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and just let God do it. But the story of Joshua shows that Joshua had to be a participant in what God had told him. So, and, and, and why did Joshua do the things that he did? Think about why he did the things that he did. Because he really believed what God had said. Now that, so we've been going through faith a lot on Sundays, talking about faith in the, in the book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews 11. And I'm trying to help people understand what, what faith, the, the, the Bible faith is. Not, we all have faith to different degrees as far as on a human level, but then on a godly level. We don't trust ourselves very much. Right? We're weak. We're not the people that God should use, but He wants to use us because we're weak. And as long as we're humble and we realize that we're really not the ones He should use, but we make ourselves available anyway. It's like, God, I don't have the ability to do what you want me to do, but I'll make myself available. And He's like, that's perfect. I can use people who can't do it. Now, He gets more glory when He uses someone who just doesn't have the talent or the ability to do the things that he wants you to do. But you, you, you do it because he's told you you can. 
And when you go and do the things that he's told you you can do, that shows that you have faith in him. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So your faith is in what he has done, what he has promised, and he tells you that he will be with you through it all. So when we were talking about Abraham going after all those kings that had wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah and had taken all the stuff and all the people, I, 318 is in my brain. I think it was 318 men that he gathered up to go after four kings that had just defeated five kings. And you're just Abraham with 300 and some people? And you're going to go after all of those people and expect to beat them? Well, there are things going on in the spiritual realm that we don't see as humans. <laughs> Think about my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of Balaam and his donkey. Balaam's riding on the donkey, riding along, and the donkey is not doing what Balaam wants it to do. It keeps moving one way when Balaam wants him to go that way. And why is he doing that? Why is the donkey going out of the way? Because there is an angel standing there with a sword drawn, and the donkey sees it, and Balaam does not. There are spiritual things going on that if you're not following God's directions, you could have an angel right in front of you with a sword drawn ready to take you out of here, and you may never know what hits you. And maybe your little dog is barking at it. And you're like, what are you barking at? This dog barking at nothing. It might be an angel there that you can't see. So Abraham knew that he had the help of heavenly host that was going to be with him when he went to rescue the people who were in bondage being led away. We need, to, we need to be that way. We need to know that if we're doing what God has called us to do, that we can conquer anything. When everything around us looks like it's falling apart, and we've lost this country, and we just want to give up, we need to realize that there are heavenly beings that are with us that will give us the victory if we follow God's ways. All right, I'm going to read out of Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. <clears throat> now it was, what, 430 years, long time before. What we've been talking about on Sundays, Abraham, this promise was given to him way back then. And now, hundreds of years later, they're actually getting ready to walk into that land that was promised to Abraham and to Abraham's seed. 
And they've been carrying the bones of Joseph out of Egypt to this land. Because Joseph knew that one day what God said was going to happen was going to happen. And now they're about ready to go over this Jordan. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon... Now, listen to this. Listen to this. He's describing, God is describing to Joshua where the borders are. Listen to this. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun. What is that? What's the great sea? that is toward the going down of the sun. If you're looking at the map, you've got Israel. East is that way. Sun comes up over there. The sun goes down over this great sea. What's that great sea? That's just to the west of Israel. The Mediterranean Sea. So the coast there, all of that land. Well, guess what's on that coast? A little tiny section called Gaza. Well, right here, it says it belongs to Israel. And on the other side, going toward the river Euphrates, I mean, you've got to go through the West Bank, which is way more toward the middle of all this, and then go all the way over to Iran, which was Persia. I mean, there, and you go way up north and way down south, and it says right here, uh, shall be your coast. So all of the Mediterranean on that side is their coast. If you go and look at the map and you figure all of this up, the amount of land that is supposed to be Israel's, they're only in about 10% of what God said was theirs right now. That's about all they're occupying right now. There's a whole lot more coming to them. Do you believe they're going to get it one day? God said they're going to get it. I can't remember the, the numbers, the, the actual square miles of it. I used to know. But anyway, I just know that it's nowhere near what God has promised them. It's what they're occupying right now. Okay, five. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. See what I'm talking about right here? That right there shows you that God has told Joshua that he's not going to leave him, and then when you go out to do this, I'm right beside you. Just like Abraham knew that God was with him when he went to fight that crazy battle, that any normal person with a, with a strategic mind would have said, Abraham, that's a suicide mission. Don't go do that. But he didn't care. He went and had, had victory like no problem because he knew God was with him. So Joshua has been told the same thing. Verse 6 says, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. 
<clears throat> All right, uh, let's go back to 2. Uh, verse 2, when it says, um, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. This is what Spurgeon said about that. He says, May we not only be saved from, but saved to. It kind of goes back to what I was reading in the introduction about uh, out of, being taken out of, but we're then into. So, may we not only be saved from, but saved to. Saved from sin, that makes us safe. Saved to holiness, that makes us happy. May we realize our completeness in Christ this day and cease from the wanderings of fear. It is time we took possession of that goodly heritage the Lord has made our own. For in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Now, if we have obtained an inheritance, like the nation of Israel has obtained the inheritance of all that land, and they're only have ownership of 10% of it right now, when we're told that all the promises in the Bible are for us, how much of that have we taken possession of? Are we any better than the nation of Israel and what they've claimed? What they've taken possession of? Are we 10% Christians? Are we only taking possession of 10% of the promises of God? Probably so. We have obtained an inheritance and have, this is back to what Spurgeon's saying about this, uh, verse 2, and have the guarantee of it in our possession of the Spirit of God. We have lingered long enough in the wilderness. <laughs> the nation of Israel lingered way too long in the wilderness. Forty years. You know, sometimes you wonder why it takes so long for an individual to finally come to the Lord, right? They lived all these years wandering in the wilderness. They, God has given them a way to be separated from the world. He's delivered them from the bondage of that, but then they just wander around in the wilderness, never actually letting Joshua or Jesus take them in to their promised land. All right, verse 7, back up to the Holy Scriptures here, um, 7. Now notice in 6 it said, Be strong and of good courage. <clears throat> 7 says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Now, is that a contradiction? We were talking earlier about the law can't save you. And it says here, you're supposed to... Uh, Observe to do according to all the law. Well, the law can't save you, but like I was talking about this past Sunday, you have a decision to make, a very important decision, heaven or hell. All right, once you make that decision, which is believing on Jesus, he died on the cross for your sins, you believe in him, the law, you hearing the word of God, being preached to you, or you read it for yourself out of the Bible, you've heard it, you, uh, the, the, this law of God is enlightening your soul 
The Holy Spirit is convicting your soul. Then you have a born-again experience. The law cannot save you, but it gets you turned in the right direction and leads you right up to the point where Jesus can save you. It gets you out of bondage of Egypt, and it takes you in the direction of the promised land. It just can't take you into the promised land. It can't take you through the Jordan. Now, once you get through the Jordan, through a born-again experience... Then that second question I was talking about Sunday, after you've made the decision between heaven and hell, and you're, you're heaven-bound now, well, now you have another decision to make. Heavenly things or worldly things? Are you going to walk after the Spirit, or are you going to walk after the flesh? That's the, that's the next thing you have to make a decision on. And how do you make the right decision? This Bible right here. You can call it the Word, the Law, the Commandments, the Precepts. There's all kinds of different words you can use. The Testimonies. All these different uh, instructions throughout the Bible that we need to know. And that's why we're studying it right now. So he's telling them to be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. That should sound familiar to you. We read that in Deuteronomy. That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now, in, in this past Sunday's message, Abraham made good decisions. Lot, his nephew, made bad decisions. And we see how their lives played out. Abraham, didn't, he wasn't perfect by any means. But overall, he believed God. He, he, and he did, the things he did was because God was telling him what to do. Abraham believed him, and he did those things. And, and we see where Abraham built an altar. We see where he called upon the name of the Lord. We see where he had great victory, but instead of letting kings of the earth lift him up and honor him, he ignored them and he went and sat down with Melchizedek and had communion. He wanted to have fellowship with the man of God. Lot was nowhere to be found. He wasn't interested in having fellowship and communion. And those types of things. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I mean, I'm talking real success, not worldly success. There's many people that hold to the Word of God and their way of Christian living, and they may get fired from their jobs. They may not prosper worldly, prosperous, you know, that type of thing. But true success will come to those who follow God's ways. You know, if we ever get toward the end of Hebrews 11, and I say that, you know, the Lord said He's coming soon. We may not ever get through Hebrews 11. I mean, you've, you've, you've noticed how many Sundays we've gone, and we're only down to around 
what was it, 16, verse 16 is as far as we've read. I think I read 8 through 16 a couple Sundays ago. And this past Sunday we didn't read any because we were talking about Lot, contrast of Abraham. And we got a lot of people to talk about in that. But when you get down toward the end of all that, it starts talking about how you, when, you, when all these people that we're going to read about in Hebrews 11, you know, they, it, it talks about the dead being raised and being delivered from the lion's den, from the, from the mouth of the lions, it being delivered from fire and persecutions and all that. But then you get down to a certain point, and then it starts talking about how some were sawn asunder, they were not delivered. They were persecuted severely. They had to run away. They had to live in caves and wear, I think it was goat skins and things like that. It's like it goes from all these great things that happened to all these people, but then there was people that we don't even know their names and we're not worthy to know their names because they went through horrible persecution and died and they were greater in God's eyes than the ones that we know about. Verse 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So, what do you get out of this? You have no reason not to be strong and courageous. He's mentioned it at least three times in the first nine verses. Be strong and of a good courage. You know, to be a coward is, is over in Revelation, that's, that's one, there's a list of some really bad sins over in Revelation, and being a coward is number one on that list, best I can remember. I can't remember exactly where it is, but being a coward, you have no excuse to be a coward because of what we just read right here in Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Because if you are a true believer, you know God is very powerful. You know that there are spiritual beings all around that we may not be able to see but they're protecting us and guiding us. God has promised us many things, but right here he promised that he will always be with us. So we should walk with courage. All right, what Spurgeon said about uh, verse 7? Only be thou, be thou strong and very courageous. The promises God gave Joshua were broadly comprehensive and exceedingly encouraging. But Joshua was not to say to himself, these covenant engagements will surely be fulfilled, and I may therefore sit still and do nothing, because God had decreed that the land should be conquered. Joshua was to be diligent to lead the people onward to battle. He was to use the promise as a belt with which to prepare himself for future activity. Let us always so regard the gracious promises of our God, we would sin against him most ungratefully and de detestably were, were we to say to ourselves, God will not desert his people, therefore let us venture into sin. 
And we are almost equally wicked if we whisper in our minds, God will assuredly fulfill his own decrees and give the souls of his redeemed as a reward to his son, Jesus. Therefore, let us do nothing and refrain from zealous Christian service. We are exhorted continually to be at work for Christ since we are saved in order that we may serve him in the power of the Holy Spirit with heart and soul and strength. Now that's, I read a lot of that over here in this introduction, what uh, Spurgeon said about Joshua. So if that sounds familiar, that's why. All right, I think that is uh, pretty much all we'll really get into today. Um, so I know you didn't know exactly what we we're going to be doing, but you can start reading parts of Joshua. I know Joseph just recently read all of it, so he's excused. But the rest of us, we need to be reading Joshua. And just to be familiar with it for Wednesday nights. And notice that it is compared to Ephesians in the New Testament. So it might be a good idea that if you're reading through Joshua, just as you're reading Joshua, you may want to go over to Ephesians and read some of Ephesians after reading some of Joshua and go back and forth and read those two. They do complement each other. Talking about the promises. And Ephesians is full of promises that were made to us by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you so much for this, this evening, this time that we have that we can come together and study your word. And Father, I pray that we would see <clears throat> that we are to be strong and courageous because our faith is in you. And Father, we believe your promises. Father, we believe that you will be with us. Father, when we follow your directions then we know that you're right there with us and we can have victory in this world. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the shed blood of your dear son. And thank him for, thank, thank, we're just thankful for you making a way for us to be able to come to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.